How many people feel they could praise the Lord all day and all night? Say amen. Amen. I know I certainly feel that way. And therefore, I want to take uh, the first moment to invite you guys next week. Um, I see a lot of you guys are dressed in nice red. You look beautiful. Wave to your neighbor and tell them you look beautiful. You look beautiful in Christ. But next week, next Sunday, we're going to have our Christmas worship experience where we're going to do what Herod failed to do, and we're going to come and worship the king. We're going to come and give God the praise and the glory. So it's next Sunday, the 26th of December. So make sure to come and invite your friends. It's going to be a time of, of, of intense worship, followed by Christmas fellowship on the other side. Make sure to invite your friends that you haven't seen. And maybe since the pandemic started, you've been watching us online. But we're going to invite you to come and worship with us in person. Um, and some of you that are away from college, you're going to be in town. Come worship. The um, shepherds came from the field and they went to worship the child. The my guys came from faraway lands to come and worship the, 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 the newborn king. So you can come from Boca, you can come worship. If you're from Coral Springs, you can come worship. Maybe you're from here, Pompano. You can get up, get the, put the covers aside, put your nice red, green, whatever, and come worship the king with us next week. Touch your neighbor by distance and let him know. Tell him, come worship. See, I like Christmas. It's uh, my favorite time of the year, I'll be honest. This Christmas is a little different because of everything that we're going through. But I, I still enjoy Christmas. I can find a lot of symbolism in Christmas. People like to talk about where Christmas came from, yada, yada, yada. I, I don't care. I don't care. I, it's just what it means to me. And for me, it means the coming of the Messiah. And you can find a lot of symbolism. Number one, you have the, the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is generally the real, it's a pine tree. And they call that evergreen. They call that evergreen because it, it, the foliage never falls. It could be summer and it has, it's still green. It could be winter and it's still green. And it's the same with the message of the gospel. It's evergreen. It never loses power. It never loses strength. It could be summer in your life. It is, has value. It could be winter in your life. It still has value. It is evergreen. And then you have the gifts. And we put the gifts under the tree uh, if we follow the American tradition. And, um, and the children, Christmas Day, they open um, they open the gifts and they're excited. But the biggest gift at Christmas, it's not the gifts that are under the tree. It's the gift of the one who died upon the tree, which is Jesus Christ. And this is what Christmas is all about, is God sending his son to die for us on the cross. And then you have, obviously, the Christmas lights. And, and the Christmas lights is something particular because you can put up all the best Christmas lights that you want, they will not have the impact that you want them to have unless it's nighttime. You can put all the lights, but during the day, they don't show. It's when the times are dark that the light shines. And that's what happened with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came in this world during a dark time. And the passage that we're about to read, which is our passage, has been our passage for the past two weeks and up till next week. If you follow with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, 
It is a dark time in the nation of Israel's history. It's very dark. And it goes like this. But there will be no, no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them as, as light on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the, at the harvest, as they, they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of this burden has a staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's word is already blessed. This is what we call a messianic prophecy. It's a, an announcement that was made in the Old Testament to announce the coming of the Deliverer that is called the Messiah. If you've been with us for a while, um, you might have had the context of the book of Isaiah, and this passage in particular. It's a good passage in a bad book. It's a good verse in a, in a story, in a history that was really bad at the time. Their king, Uzziah, had, had sinned against God, and he had came in the, in the temple and offered sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to offer, so he was rejected. And, and the country of Israel was separated in two. You had the northern kingdom, which, was, which were ten tribes, and you had the southern kingdom, which was the tribe of Judah, and, um, and under it the tribe of Benjamin. And so they were in political division. They were not united as they were before. They were uh, under foreign oppressions. Foreign countries were impressing their will upon them, and they were facing annihilation. And, and, and sure thing, annihilation would come. The northern kingdom was going to be deported by the Assyrian. So imagine you have, it's like if the United States would be divided and you would have Texas on one side and then you would have the other states on the other side. And out of the blue, a foreign enemy comes and they go in the White House, they break the White House, they take the, the Constitution, all the precious things that we hold dear. They, they, they take the Statue of Liberty, they, they burn it up and, and they take our precious young people and they take them to another land. That happened when the Assyrian came, came in 722 BC and then it would happen again to, the, to Judah in 586. So it's a bad time. But light can only shine in darkness. And in his announcement, the prophet tells us 
how we're going to recognize the Messiah to come. So in this time, tumultuous time, in this bad time, he tells us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in the past two weeks, we started first with Wonderful Counselor. And Pastor Perry preached and explained to us what Wonderful Counselor meant. And, and I want to emphasize the part of the wonderful. You know, we, we have movies like a movie called It's a Wonderful Life, right? Or, or, or people can say, oh, this is wonderful. But we lose the meaning of what wonderful means here. It means miraculous. It means beyond human understanding. If you find yourself in a jam and you don't know what to do, I want to tell you this afternoon, you can go to the wonderful counselor who can provide miraculous counsel, who can provide wisdom that is above the wisdom of man. And then we had last week with Pastor LaRose, Mighty God. And, and that is a very kind of troubling because it tells us a son will be born and his name will be called Mighty God. Intimating that the one to come is not a normal human being. He is not like you and me. He is something special. He is Mighty God, which leads us to today where we're going to see Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now to understand the kind of where we are, we have to understand what names meant for the Hebrews. See, now we name people based on if we like the name, right? So that's why when you have a celebrity and they're big, a lot of children after them are going to be called that name. A lot of children are called Michael. Maybe because at Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, um, Michael J. Fox, whatever. So we give names based on what we like. But back then, they gave names based on the meaning. Because your name became your identity. And as Haitians, we can understand that because we all have somebody in our life that has a name that we can clearly identify the meaning. One of our favorite people in the world is, is our, um, our, our nanny for our kids for the longest. Her name was Jesula which means Jesus is here. Um, a lot of people have the name Dieudonne, meaning given by God. And you might even know somebody called Asefi, which means when the parents had like maybe five girls, they don't want any more girls, they say Asefi, like enough fee, give me a, give me a guy, right? I know I would have been, um, if my parents could, I would have been Asegasson. Right? Because they had one boy, two boys. Now about that time, they want a girl. But then I came out as a boy again. They would have called me Asse Gasson. But praise God, they call me David. Amen. Asse hmm? Yeah, that's sorry. Yeah, not Asse Gasson. That don't exist. Asse Right? That's how they would have called me. Um, but they call me David. I am grateful for that because David means beloved by God. Amen. And so, in 
identifying the name of the Messiah, it tells us what who the Messiah is going to be, the identity and the level of the Messiah. And I want to dwell a little bit on the meaning of the words because I feel that around Christmas time, we, we focus on the child, but we think that the child that we're focusing on made it there because he's cute. We think that he's a cute child and his cuteness is above all cuteness and that's why we focus on the child. You know, it's kind of like when a new baby is born. Um, I, I remember when my son was born, everybody was like, you don't remember that. But it was like, oh, look at the little baby, everybody. And everybody's paying attention. And then when the second one comes, everybody forgets the first one. They focus on the second one, right? And for Jesus, I feel sometimes we think that all that's special about him is that he's a, he's a cute child. But there is more to, to him. And number one, I want you to pay attention to me in the meanings of everlasting father. Everlasting father is a little different than the other words. If you go in the original Hebrew, they're all two words. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. There's just two words. But this one in particular, it's a compounded word. It, it, it's a word that is two words that are brought into one. Um, and it means father of eternity. The two words are abiad. Ab is the mean, is father. And, and, and rad is eternal, e eternity. Abiad. And, and so father in the in the Hebrew, is, 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 is what we get from father, right? And so, so it's like, if you remember the name uh, Abraham. Abraham, his name was Abraham, and they changed it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, or father of, of nations. Uh, another character you will see is Abimelech. Abimelech means uh, my father is king. Every time that you see Abi or Ab, it talks about father. So Abimelech means my father is king. And my, my favorite of those is Abigail, right? Abigail is the name of one of our daughters. We named her Abigail because the word means joy of my father. The joy of my father, right? And our prayer for all our children is that they would be the joy of their father in heaven. And so here we have Abi Rod. So it's uh, Abi's father, chief principal. It's a primitive word that where we get father from, an immediate or figurative remote application. So you can mean the chief, like the forefather, uh, the 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 patrimony, the principle, and we, we can see it in culture, right? When you have somebody that is um, an in inventor or somebody that started a field, we would call him the father of, like Thomas Edison would be called the father of modern research. Or, or uh, you would say maybe if he makes it to Mars, you could say Elon Musk is the father of space exploration, right? If he ever makes it to Mars, um, and so it shows an aspect of principle. So this is the first part is father, but then the second part is eternal, e eternity, which is a word rad, and it means eternity, everlasting, old, perpetually, a world without end. A world without end. So what does that mean? What does that tell us? That tells us that the Messiah to come will be the father of eternity. Now, now that, can, that can be 
hard to kind of grasp what that means, but follow with me in Micah 5.2, which Micah was another prophet during that time, and he also prophesied the coming of the, the Messiah. And here's what he said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He said, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So, so let's break this down a little. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, and, and we understand in hindsight from reading the books of the New Testament that this represents the, the place of birth, the birthplace of the Messiah, the small town of Bethlehem, which is still small up till today, very unassuming town, not where you would think a king would come from. You would think a king would come from Rome or Jerusalem or Alexandria in Egypt, but he came, the king of kings came, uh, as humble as he possibly could, and he came from Bethlehem, which is a small town in, in Judah. But then he says, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler uh, over Israel. So we know that the one to come, he's going to be a ruler. He's going to be king. He's going to be in charge. Just a side note, I was talking to uh, Pastor Perry, and we are talking, say, you know, like a lot of times people talk politics. But one thing I never do, I don't lose sleep over politics. Because at the end of the day, I know, and we're sharing that, he was saying that too, that the government, the, the, whose shoulder the government depends on, and it's not on Washington. The government is upon the shoulder of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So whatever decision they come to, I don't have to worry about it too much. Because at the end of the day, my father is in charge. My father is in charge. And so we know that the one to come in Bethlehem will be in charge. He'll be the one calling the shots. And it says, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So how can somebody be born, but that has origin in the time? And, and, and the King James has it where it says, from everlasting. And when you look in the Hebrew, the proper transition is from everlasting. So from everlasting past. So how can somebody be born, uh, like I have my daughter, I know her date of birth. I actually, I know, I know all their date of birth when they started, right? But this one, he's going to be born, but he's going to have an origin from before. He's going to have an origin from the beginning of time. Because the child that is born, he's just, he's not just a normal child. He is the father, meaning the originator of everything. He is the originator of creation. He is the father of eternity. He is the one who started it all. And I want to tell you this afternoon, sometimes, you know, especially in this time of pandemic, up and down and, and a lot of things happening, you might feel lost. But I want to tell you this afternoon, you're not lost because you're in his hands. And he's the one who started everything and he started your life. He started your life. And like the Creole song says, there's nothing that my God starts, that my Father starts, that He's not going to bring to completion. So if you feel lost, I want to tell you, you're not lost because you're in His hands. He is the originator of everything. The, the, Psalm, the Psalm 102, 102, verse 25, 27, puts it like this. And that Psalm in particular 
is referenced in the book of Hebrews talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will, you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them as, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The, the one, the Messiah to come, Jesus Christ, he's the one who started everything. John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's what I love with light. You know, however dark it is, as soon as you light up some, a, a candle uh, or you watch your cell phone, lights cast away darkness. And you might be in a dark spot right now, even though it's the holiday season and everybody's spending money left and right. That doesn't mean that you have peace in your heart. That doesn't mean that you have comfort in your heart. But I want to tell you that the light of Jesus Christ came and can cast away all that darkness. It can cast away all that darkness. And he came so that his sheep, his people might have life and that they have it to the full. That they might have it to the full. So understand this, that Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the Father, meaning the originator of eternity. He is the Almighty God. And what I like with is something that is eternal. So he's an everlasting Father, but he's also the eternal Father. And what I like with eternity, eternity is, and this I'm going to, I'm a, for full disclosure, this I'm taking this from Pastor LaRose. Uh, Pastor LaRose is not feeling too well, so he asked me to cover for him. So he sends me these notes. And here's what, um, faithful to his, his method of preaching, you know, you know, Pastor LaRose goes in details. He would say, eternity is one of those attributes called essential attributes of God. They belong with God and only with God. They cannot be used for a creature. By definition, no creature is eternal. And what we have to understand with this is, is eternity is eternity past and eternity present and eternity future. Psalm 92 underlines the eternity of God. It says, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting past, you are God. Everlasting present, you are God. But more importantly, everlasting future, you are God. There's nothing that can shake the throne of God. What I like about something that is eternal is eternity, eternal, doesn't only mean lasting long. Sometimes we think of eternal life about as the life that will last forever. That would last a long time. But if we go back to Psalm 102, he says, yes, you created the foundation of the earth. Yes, you created the heavens and the work of your hands, but they will perish. And so we look at the sun and the sun comes up every morning and the sun has been there as long as we can look back. But guess what? The sun, the sun is not eternal because the sun eventually could die. 
The sun eventually could cease to exist. The, 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 the earth eventually could cease to exist. It's not eternal. Something that is eternal is something that cannot be destroyed. That cannot be destroyed. And Jesus being the everlasting father, his reign cannot be destroyed. And what I like to say is, I love the military and looking at what these guys do, the Navy SEALs, the Green Beret, all of that, the Delta Force, all of that, right? And you look at the arsenals of all those different countries. But if they all rose up, the United States, together with Russia, together with China, all of them, if they rose up and they said, we're going to take on God, we're going to remove God from his throne, God would not be shaken. If we would bring all the nuclear weapons that we have, all the chemical weapons, they would say, we're going to attack the throne of God. God would yawn and go back to bed. Because that would not affect him. Because his reign is eternal. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. He is the eternal father. So as eternal father, he's eternal. He cannot be destroyed. But I, I can see some of you are theologians, but said, Dave, I thought we believed in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is the Son, how come you're saying he's the Father? And, and, and so I don't understand. And I see that you're troubled and that you will not go to bed tonight unless I answer that question for you. So I will answer that question for you. So open your Bibles with me in John chapter 14, verse 8 to 11. So Jesus, as God, he is eternal, but he also is the Father. In John 14, verse 8 to 11, he's having conversation with, with his disciples, one of those um, defining moment conversations. And Philip said, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his works. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. In giving the name, God reveals something about himself. God revealed himself. He could have said eternal creator, but no. Nah. He could have said eternal king, but no. Nah. And all those would have been true. He could have said eternal dominator, but he chose Father, Father, because God wants to be your Father. He sent Jesus to establish that relationship so that the, the child could now meet with the Father. He wants the relationship, and he uses the deepest relationship that we can have on earth of, of an authority, and, and that's the Father. That's why we get the name, by the way, uh, Patriot, right? It's like um, the Patriot. The, the, in French, we would say la patrie, the, 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 the country, the Patriot. It's a, the sense that you have 
and then, and the old dictators they would call themselves the father of the so it's the deepest relationship that you could have in terms of an authority and somebody that's being ruled is the father jesus reveals himself as not only a king not only a creator but a father somebody that wants to have a deep relationship that's why in the prayer in the lord's prayer he says our how our should pray is our father the same way you address but the problem that we have in our day and age especially is that we live in a time where fathers have failed us in a lot of sense if you look at the crime data in america the biggest problem, you, you can link all the different crimes that you have. The majority of them are linked to fatherless homes, to, to, to homes where the father is not there, is absent, for whatever reason uh, that that may be. Some of the reasons might be fathers have failed us because they were irresponsible. They did not like, you know, they just were going around like bees and having fun. They did not want the responsibility. So they went and they moved on. And they have failed us because of sin. Because of their sin. Not our sin. Their sin. Or another is they're failing us unintentionally. Why, right? Because they have a sense of responsibility. And you're so focused on bringing the bread home. In the heart of a good father is to be a provider. Right, is to provide. And sometimes in the in the country that we live in, you can work tremendous hours to provide for the home, forgetting that the number one thing that the home needs is your presence as a father. And so so it's a failing and it's an unintentional failing. And the third way is sometimes it's just life. Life in this earth is cruel. Life in this earth is, is tough. So sometimes because, especially when right now we're in a pandemic, we've had a lot of people lost a father prematurely. Nobody did anything wrong, but it's just this life is hard. This, heart, this life is hard. But I want to tell you, God, being the eternal God, will never fail. He will never fail. He would never fail. He is the father that never fails. He is the father. He's a never failing father. And he revealed himself when he was talking to Philip. He said, if you see me, you've seen the father. If you see me, you've seen all that there is to see, which is the, 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 the Godhead, the divinity. God is one God. Sometimes we can get it twisted and we believe like, oh, we like we believe. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. And that one God reveals himself in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why baptism, it says, baptize them, baptize them in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you receive Christ, you have everything that you need. He is the never-failing Father. And when Jesus came, he wanted to occupy that Father role in your life. He wanted to show you the affection that you should have received from your Father. He wants to show you that affection. And he shows that, if you follow with me, in Mark 5, verse 34. And in Mark 5 is the story, it's a very well-known story, of the lady who was losing blood. 
She was losing blood for 12 years. When you were losing blood back in those days, you would have been rejected from society. You would, have, you would have been an outcast. People would have looked down upon you. So you can imagine how, especially if you grew up in a certain environment, how we look at down on people. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, oh, if I come to church this way, they're going to look down on me because of this and because of that. She felt that way. She was living in a culture that because of her illness, she was rejected. But when she heard that Jesus was in town, she was like, you know what? I need to overcome the rejection of people. I need to overcome the obstacles that are set before me by people because if I can only touch the bottom garment of his robe, I will be healed. If I can only touch him, I will be healed. So she took her courage and she went, made her way through the crowd, even in spite of her supposedly being rejected, and she touched the garment of Jesus' robe, and Jesus stopped. He stopped, and everybody's moving, trying to get his attention, and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? And the apostles were like, oh, but Jesus, there's a lot of people touching you. Say, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, they're in contact with me, but they're not touching me. Somebody touched me because I felt power leaving my body. You don't know, if you worship God and you touch his robe, power leaves heaven to enter your situation. And power left Jesus and entered the situation of that, of that, of, of that woman, that lady. And, and, and she had to come forward. And now she was scared because she knew she broke the laws of men. She knew she broke the rules that men had set. But in spite of the fact that she broke the rules that men had said, she touched the heart of God. And Jesus said, verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your fate has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He called her daughter. Now, she was a grown woman. Jesus was 30 plus years old. She wasn't in age of being his daughter. But he came because he wanted to be the father in her life. He wants to be the father in your life. If you touch the garment of his robe, power can leave heaven and enter your situation. And we see that again in John chapter 21, verse 5, verse 6. The apostles, that's after the resurrection of Christ. And the apostles, they're fishing all night. They're fishing all night and they can't find fish. They're experienced experienced fishermen, but they cannot find fish doing it all night. You know, sometimes in life, you can have all the experience you, ha you want, but you can get stuck in a situation that all the experience, all the specialists, all the doctors, all of this, all of that, they have no solution. Peter had no solution. James, John, they're all there trying to get fish, trying to get food, but they have no solution. You can find yourself where you're stuck in life, where you feel that you don't have any solution. But Jesus comes. And they, and they see him at a distance and they don't recognize him. And he says, so John 21, verse 5 and verse 6, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it 
in because of the quantity of fish. So they, Jesus come, he's 30 plus years old, 33 years old. And they're probably late 20s, maybe 30s also. So they're not, he says children, and the word is little child. So can you imagine if I go, uh, I don't know, Clovis, I don't know how old you are, I say, Clovis, little child. He going to punch me in the face. <laughs> like, you know, what are you calling a child? But Jesus calls, calls them little children. Not out of disrespect. But because in his essence, he is their father. And they struggled all night. They struggled all night. But upon one wonderful counseling of Jesus, put your net here. The master creator works everything. And now they have more fish that they know what to do with. You understand that if you get one wonderful counseling from Jesus Christ, he could switch your life around. You might be in the night. Right now, you might be working all night and you're working day in, day out, and you're not seeing the fruits that you believe you should be seeing. But I want to tell you run to God, run to God, because if He gives you one wonderful counsel, if He just speaks a word, see, I love the Haitian culture. You know why? Haitians, they might not have a degree, a, a PhD, but they understand God. You, you, if you ever been to Credo Minuit, if you ever been to a prayer meeting, a lot of time, the Haitian woman, she will say, Bon Dieu, dis un mot. God, say a word. Just say a word. Dis un mot pour moi, Seigneur. Dis un mot. And you understand that if God says a word, because he is God Almighty, because he's the everlasting Father, that word will never go back to God without doing what it's supposed to do. And all you need in your life is God to say one word. What God said one word, and your life will change forever. If God just says one word, and here he gave him an advice, not because to, to be condescending, but because as a father, he is their provider. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. So I want to tell you this afternoon, maybe you've found yourself where you've been disappointed, maybe by your earthly father. Or maybe now, maybe your earthly father is good, but you still find yourself in, in a situation I want to tell you that Jesus is the never failing father. Never failing father. He cannot fail. He cannot fail. And we, we saw a, a few weeks ago when we said Jesus wept. Jesus wept meant Jesus cares. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion of his children, the Lord has compassion of those who fear him. The Lord has compassion of those who fear him. And, and, and as a parent, I think I can understand that. I think I can understand that. During the week, my, um, my, 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 my son fell, right? So, so you know, when, when you're a parent, you hear your, your children cry, and you know which cry. You can, it's kind of like, almost like music. You know which notes they're striking, right? Sometimes they're crying. Say, ah, you're just fighting. It's nothing. It's not, yeah, she's just whining because she has nothing. But sometimes they cry, you're like, whoa, this is serious. So I'm like running out the shower. I'm like, oh, now I better get back in there. But because I heard my son cry, I heard him and he had fallen and, you know, that was a real, real thing. If as a human father I can listen and, and respond 
Imagine as a heavenly father, when you cry, he hears and he responds to your cry. He can make up. You know, when sometimes we whine, but we whine really for no reason because God knows it's already taken care of. It's already taken care of. So, okay, you're whining. Okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. But sometimes we cry and, and he listens and he's going to act. He's going to act. And what strikes me with the, the passage Jesus wept is Jesus knew he was going to solve the situation. But in spite of the fact that he knew that he was going to solve the situation, he still wept with the people. He still had compassion enough to wept and go into their suffering. So the never failing father feels what you're going through. He understands what you're going through. John 10, verse 27, 29, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Pastor LaRose um, spent several weeks talking about the security of salvation, talking about how our salvation is secure. I just want to add to that. Our salvation is secure because we're in the hands of God, and God is eternal, so he cannot be destroyed. So they might try. People might try to make you lose your salvation. People might try because you made a mistake to try to say, oh, you made that mistake? Oh, you're done. You're out of here. But, but in the hands, you're still in the hands of God. In the eyes of God, you're still saved. People might reject you, but God accepts you. People might put you down, but God is going to lift you up. Put your trust in him because he will, nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Nothing can snatch you out of his hands. And one thing that, that um, as a father makes me very, um, very, very happy is when you come home and the kids, you know, when they have young kids and they come and they run, oh, daddy, 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 they give you a hug. You know, as a father, you like that. And then they go, oh, daddy, uh, can I have your phone? And you're like, what, what, is it for me or is it the phone? But aren't we like that sometimes? Where we run to God because we want something, as opposed to running to God for, for him, for who he is. And, 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 you know, and I don't dog it. I enjoy it now. They're in that age. And then eventually they'll, be, they'll become um, teens, right? And then things will change. Like, um... One of my colleagues in, uh, in a previous job, she came in my office one day, and she was crying. She was crying. Like, her eyes, you know, she was crying. I'm like, what happened? And I'm thinking something like really bad happened. She's like, I was dropping my son at school today, and he said, drop me at the corner. He's ashamed of me. Say, no, no, don't worry. He's not ashamed of you. He's just a teen, and he's doing what teens, you know, it's not cool. You want to, you know, as a teen, you want to pretend that you drove yourself to school, right? That you were driving the car yourself. You want to pretend, so he's not, don't worry. He'll grow, he'll, 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 he'll turn around. But how many times we're like that, right? We say, okay, God, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Drop me at the corner. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to live my life. And next time I have a crisis, then I'm going to come and run. But I want to tell you this afternoon, don't wait for the crisis. Don't wait for the crisis. Come to God. Run to God. Worship team, that's your cue. Run to God, because that's our song. Stan and Tim, that's your cue. We're about to end. 
a little shorter than normal. But we want to invite you to run to God. We want to invite you to put your trust in God because he's a never failing God. He will never fail. He will never fail you. You know, when you walk the street and you're walking with your child, you're holding hands. But when the street gets one of those big, you know, like Semple Road Street or those big streets, guess what? They're not holding my hand anymore. I'm holding their hand. And sometimes I'm holding it here. I'm not holding it here anymore. I'm holding it here, right? Where Because I cannot trust that they will have enough strength to hold. Or sometimes they don't have the wisdom to understand that they're in a better place in my hands, right? So sometimes I might be afraid that they might go running in the parking lot and something bad is going to happen. So at that point, I'm not letting them hold my hand. I'm holding their hand because my hand is stronger. My hand is steadier than theirs. And the set, likewise, that like Casting Crown says, you're not, I'm not holding on to you. You're holding on to me. We're not holding on to God. He's holding on to us. And that's why our salvation is secured. Is because it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us being faithful. The Bible says if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So maybe you find yourself in this Christmas season where you're away from God, where you feel that God has abandoned you. God has, you know, I was away from church. I was away so long and, and I've done stuff that I didn't think I was able to do. And I'm ashamed. And I want to tell you, come to the Father. Come to the Father. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to carry that shame so that you don't have to carry it. He came to carry that guilt so you don't have to carry it. You can come to him. When, when a child comes to a father, when the child comes and raises their hand, the father will pick him up. If a human father can do that, how about your heavenly father? God bless.